0: Everyday witches emerge from the shadows of secrecy. Broom closets are flinging open and witches are taking flight. Whether you are hiding in your cozy closet or flying with pride, stay for a spell as witch casting with Theodora Pendragon and her guests share magical moments, stir the cauldron, and debunk misinformation and misconceptions about paganism, witches, and our wonderful world of magic.
1: My special guest today is a military spouse, a military pagan spouse, and her name is A.C. Fisher-Eldag. And I'm your host, Theodora Pendragon. Welcome, A.C. Well,
2: hi, Theodora. It's good to be
1: here. Great. I would like to talk about your experiences as a military spouse living openly as a pagan in the military community.
2: Well, um, my husband was in the Army from 1986 to 1991, and he was um, at when Desert Storm and Desert Shield happened, he was caught up in that, had to, a tour of Iraq and, and Kuwait and Saudi Arabia. But mostly he was stationed in, he, was, he got his basic training in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, And then he went to Fort Hood, Texas. And at the time, Texas was not favorable to pagans. And then he went to Wertheim, Germany. And from there, he was deployed to Saudi Arabia. Now, Wertheim, Germany was very friendly to pagans. Tell us about that. How were they friendly? Germany is a a very ancient city, and there is actually a castle there that people are still living in, and you can go up the hill and and visit the castle. And there are pagan archaeological sites around there. So the base personnel seemed more friendly towards paganism, as well as the surrounding townsfolk. So there there were circles being held, and events being held that were openly advertised. Now in Hood, it seemed like we were the only ones or else people were so sheltered in the broom closet, they didn't want to come out and be recognized as being pagan. It was a very conservative community. And also the military culture there was very conservative, Christian, and not very friendly to any other alternatives. Although my husband had three or four friends that were also pagan in his unit. Were you living
1: openly as pagan in the military community at
2: Fort Hood? I was. I was not able to live with my husband in Wertheim. In We'd go and visit for a month here and there, but I was living with him off and on in Fort Hood. I'm very open about paganism, but I live in Michigan. And we had a group here, a circle here, and we had, um, we had been doing things like weddings and visiting people in the hospital and things like that. We were one of the first legal pagan churches in Michigan back in the mid-80s. And we got the 501c3 tax status. We broke down a lot of barriers in Michigan as well. And then he um, joined the military in 1986, and went to Fort Fort Still first, and then Fort Hood, and he was in Fort Hood for two years. And I joined him off and on. And it was very challenging, because we would want to do things like celebrate our holidays, the Sabbaths. We call them holidays because we're folkloric pagans, so we aren't quite the same as Wicca. But anyway, we would be doing events, and we would invite people to the events, and there was open hostility from some of the higher-ups in the military. They would um, forbid Dave the time off. They would um, schedule things so that he could not attend or, or participate in various events. They didn't want to give us time off to go to other peoples events like including a rainbow gathering which isn't pagan it's kind of everybody but they would throw up some roadblocks for that my husband also wanted to have pagan on his dog tags because when you're in a combat situation and if you get wounded or god forbid killed the chaplain Needs to know what to do in the event of your death and what rituals you would like and and things like that. So at the time, it was very common to put on dog tags for anybody that wasn't Christian or Jewish to put no preference on there, and that meant that you can would get whatever you know the the chaplain was believing in or nothing for last rites, for example, or or. Um, you know, who to visit you in the hospital. And so my husband and and I uh, contested this and wanted to have Pagan put in our on, on his dog tags. And he was told that Pagan isn't really a religion. But since Wicca was a recognized religion at that time, that he could have Wicca put on his dog tags. And he had to fill out a lot of forms and talk to a lot of people and talk to his higher up. Um now this is at the very beginning of his military career of course when you when you get all that stuff all the paperwork done all the the things that you need for your uniform and all the things that you need for your identity so he had to accept wicca on his dog tags or no preference now we're not wiccan but we figured it's close enough that we're not going to have you know christian prayers said over him when he if he passed on or you know, Christian like communion and things administered in the hospital, which, you know, we're not against that. We're not opposed to that. We don't really want it either. Other people in his unit told similar stories that they also had to accept no preference or Wicca. And then we also heard from other military members subsequently long after he got out of the military, that they went through the same thing. You know, we, we believed that Dave was the first for a long time but there was two or three other people doing it all during that same time period in the mid-80s. And so it actually stuck because when my son went into the military in 2018, he was able to have pagan on his dog tags. And they had a form to fill out about what kind of things you preferred to have happen to you in the event of, you know, something, something bad happening. And also for just everyday um, occurrences. They have time off when they can go to religious events, and he actually attended a circle there in Fort Sill. 20, 30 years later, it had actually taken place that, that there had been some strides made. There is also a chaplain's book with a uh, chapter on it in, on Wicca, and I believe they have other designations, other pagan religions, in their chaplain's book nowadays. So that was we we made some strides we made a little progress
1: it's really sad to think that this stuff is still happening in our lifetime someone else in the military is telling the soldiers what kind of ritual they can have after their passing
2: it's still happening today because every once in a while somebody'll write me and say i want to have wicca on my dog tags i want to have asatru ceremonies what do I do so I'll give them some resources circle network has a lot of resources and there's a military pagan group um, after the broadcast maybe I can look these up and give you some of the websites and resources for people to be able to use certainly but there are resources out there but it is still happening that people are getting challenged about their religious beliefs and how they want to be remembered and recognized, and what um, religious services they want to go to.
1: So you're a religious advocate for pagans.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I had to do some other stuff in my lifetime as well. How
1: can people find you if they need to reach out to you for resources?
2: Um, I'm on Facebook, and you can send me a Facebook message. I'm at ACFisherAldeg.com dot com is my my website, and just acfisheraldag on on Facebook. Can shoot me an email at ACE, A-C-E, like the card, Fisher Aldag, A-L-D-A-G, at Gmail. I'm in a lot of groups on Facebook and I attend a lot of uh, gatherings in the Midwest area. So people can reach out to me that way.
1: After your husband left the military in 1991 and before your son joined in 2018, the Pentacle was approved for VA grave markers. Do you remember that?
2: I sure do. That was a struggle there. I'm sure other uh, guests have spoken about this, but um there was a man who had been serving, I believe in the was it Army Airborne, and his name was Patrick Dana Stewart. And he was killed in action during some of the conflicts in the the Persian Gulf. And his widow asked that his memorial marker have the pentagram on it. She was refused because it was not an accepted military symbol at that time. There was a number of ones that had been approved, including Christian crosses, the symbol for Muslim people, the symbol for Jewish people. And then during the time that it was on hold and waiting, other symbols had gotten accepted. So there's a process that one has to go through, and that's, it has to be in use for an actual military member. It has to be submitted by an actual uh, ecclesiastical corporation or a church. I think they want 501c3 status. I'm not positive about that. And it has to um, be requested also by the loved ones of the, the active duty military member. So other people had tried to do it in the past, but they didn't have one or the other of the qualifications. They either didn't have a military member who was actually in active duty or family member to request it, or it wasn't coming from an actual religious body with the uh, actual status. And so at that time, the widow, whose name was Roberta, reached out to Selena Fox of Circle Network and got her involved. And it came to be known as the Pentacle Quest. A lot of people jumped on board with this and did things in order to help the move the process along at the Veterans Administration. The Veterans Administration has a special body that is... Specifically designed for burial things, you know, getting your burial benefits, having your, um, having the the veteran be buried in a military cemetery with the appropriate markers, and um, it had kind of stalled at the VA, and later on we found out that it took a act of Congress to actually make it go through that this symbol be accepted. So there was a lot of people working on this together and my tiny teeny little part of it and my husband's Dave's was to go to our local VFW Veterans of Foreign Wars and our local American Legion which we were members of and speak to the the people in charge of the organizations locally and talk to them about what was going on what this meant So they went to higher-ups within those organizations, and then the VFW and the American Legion also put pressure on the VA. They do a lot of advocating anyway for um, injured veterans and for people's claims for disability benefits and things like that. And so the person that was in charge of the local organization is kind of a shirt-tail relative of ours. He's the grandpa of the girl my, my son married. So he's my daughter-in-law's grandpa. He wasn't then because they were just small. He was also a retired policeman, and he was as Christian as they come. But he thought that this was a very important cause that people who had served in the military get the respect of having their symbol on their... Um, tombstone or plaque in a military cemetery and there had been other people who had tried to do this beforehand he went to first the regional and then the state and then they took it to the national vfw and american legion who then went and put pressure on the the va as they do, and I'm not sure exactly what they did. I just know that they did it, and that it had some results.
1: You said that you had a little part, a very small part, but but every small part that each person participates in to make an event happen, like the Pinnacle Quest, is huge. Or else it wouldn't happen. Tiny grains of sand
2: making a big dune.
1: <laughs> exactly. Has your son shared with you how his military experience is different as a pagan than when your husband was in the military?
2: Oh, very much. There was a lot more acceptance. Um, For one thing, they had mixed genders and gay people were able to join at the time that he joined the military. I'm sure there was gay people at the time of my husband's deployment, but it wasn't talked about. They were very much closeted because they could get kicked out. There was a much more tolerance and acceptance of various religions and pathways or having no religion at all. There was a circle that is um, led by Leah Pender in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and they met for holidays, and I believe they met weekly on Sundays. So they got to go and have a circle when everybody else is going to their own denominations meetings for um, religious activities, they were able to go and circle. And I think the only thing they weren't allowed to do was have candles, and that was because, you know, fire alarms, things like that. But they um, did some beautiful ceremonies, and he really enjoyed them, and it made him feel very happy. And he was injured in a training accident, and so his chaplain was able to come and visit him during that time. So that was very helpful because they were incommunicado at the time, which means they couldn't really talk to um, family or people outside the military. I think he was able to talk to his wife, but he wasn't able to talk to us. So that was for reasons of security. That wasn't like discrimination or anything. It was just for security reasons. So it was very good for him to be able to have his chaplain be able to come and visit him when he was injured in the hospital and then recovering.
1: You said his chaplain. Was his
2: chaplain Pagan? Le- Leah Pender is, a, is considered a military chaplain, able to lead rituals and ceremony on the base. And from what I understand, she primarily did it for people who were in training, in basic training, and then what they call AIT, which is learning your your job or profession within the military. And so um, she gets a turnover of, of new people like every six months. They, they weren't able to have like a permanent circle. And one thing I wanted to mention was military bases that have pagan groups meeting on them are really in need of books. They really need pagan books. So if anybody wants to send books to their local military base, it would be greatly appreciated.
1: And what kind of books would you recommend?
2: basic beginning pagan books Raymond Buckland Christopher Penzik Scott Cunningham Starhawk some of those that are for beginners also beginning books in Asatru beginning books in in um, Druidry because these are our young people we're talking about their average age is of course 17 to 25. And many of them are just exploring paganism for the first time. Others grew up in it, like my son. And so they don't always have the knowledge. And then they can learn and, and practice individually, too, which is something else that is allowed now. You're allowed to have in a small area designated for religious worship within your, your barracks in your room, which my husband wasn't really allowed back in the day some of the you know it's within reason of course they have to keep the place clean they have to keep it you know secure and sanitary and all that and they can't have things like incense and candles that burn but they can have like a small altar with things like you know crystals and statues and and ritual tools on it and this this you know don't take my word for this check with your base and make sure that's okay Because they might have a reason you can't, like if it's, you know, there's a lot of chemicals around or something like that. Or if, you know, there's limited space, like on a Navy ship, I don't know if it's allowed there. My son and some of his friends were able to have these rights enforced for them. So that was a really, really good thing to see.
1: Yes, we have made strides, haven't we? We have. I feel like I was born in the wrong decade, though, because... (laughs) Everything was an issue when I was in the military. I was in from 82 to 86. And now, like you said, now gays have the right to be on active duty and more religions are being recognized. Well, just like something as simple as yesterday, I went to a military ceremony and I hadn't been on a military installation in a few years since my husband's retired. Women in military were wearing ponytails. (laughs) And I said, we, could, we couldn't we could have ponytails. We had to look like boys with our hair stuffed
2: under our, our hats. <laughs> so I thought, wow, how cool is that? To wear beards now, which is kind of cool. You know, Sikh people and some Osatru people want to keep their beards.
1: I saw that yesterday, too.
2: Yeah, I also want to say, Theodora, thank you very much for your service. We appreciate you. Thank you. And that uh, as far as gay people go... They, their spouses now get benefits. So that's a big deal. And they can live on post and family housing. Yes, yes. And that's something that did not happen back then. I mean, people didn't even want to acknowledge you were gay. You could still get kicked out of the military for being gay. Right.
1: That's what it was like when I was in the military. My husband
2: used to grumble about that because historically the United States Army was actually founded by a German man who was gay. I didn't know that. I can't remember his name, but yeah, that's that's a historical point. And he would bring that up often when when there was uh, discrimination issues. You published a book. I did. Tell us about your book. It is called Common Magic, and it's about traditions of folk magic and witchcraft that originate in the British Isles. So there are things in there that are quite different from Wicca. There are spells and rites and things about different things that are done on different holidays, but we also do something called folk plays, which is ritual theater. You act out a part, and you use the energy for a cause. It's quite different than British traditional witchcraft, and it's quite different from Wicca. Other people that you know, practice Wicca or practice other traditions of paganism can incorporate some of these folkways into their practice. Thank you. You're welcome.
1: And congratulations on publishing this book. It must have been exciting to write that.
2: It's available from Llewellyn Worldwide. Well, I go around the, um, the Midwest and do a lot of these folk plays and other British Isles folk magic rites and it's very hands-on, like we make talismans in the class or act out of folk play. In fact, we're doing that later this afternoon. We're going to go and wake up the earth. We're going to decorate wands. And here in Michigan, we're still having some winter weather. So we're going to do things to bring about spring. So that, that's a, always a fun thing. Would you
1: like to expand a little bit about the Pentacle Quest? Is there more information that you
2: have about that? Somewhat, in that it was actually became a nationwide thing. Um, there were musicians who wrote songs about it. There, were, um, Celia especially wrote the symbol song, and she later performed that at a pagan spirit gathering of um, Circle Network. There were a lot of gatherings where there were petitions, and uh, people added their signatures to it. There was magic works. There were a lot of magical rituals to make this come about, from tiny little coven's of three members to nationwide gatherings with 500 people. Afterwards, Circle Network had a big celebration about winning it, winning the Pentacle Quest. And there were a lot of active duty and retired and veteran military members there to celebrate this. There were a lot of people who were instrumental in making this happen. One was Charles Arnold, who was from Canada, and he did the Wiccan Church of Canada, and he did a little newsletter called Rags to Witches. Rags to Witches. That's cute. It's no longer being published, though. We're talking about like the late 70s, early 80s. And he did a lot to try and get other people's symbols accepted in the military. And then Pete Pathfinder Davis of the Aquarian Tabernacle Church in Oregon did a lot to, to promote this. I know there were a lot of other people. Dave Sassman, who is a Vietnam veteran from the Pagan Educational Network in Indianapolis, Indiana, had a big part of it. And so besides Selena Fox of Circle Network and her group, There were a lot of other people contributing to this quest across the country. And just everybody that raised awareness, everybody that raised energy to promote it, all had a part in it. It was like we were saying about all the little grains of sand made one great big dune. Where are these people now? Pete Pathfinder Davis has passed away. A lady called Belladonna Laveau is now in charge of the Aquarian Tabernacle Church. Charles Arnold has also passed away. Dave Sassman is still, um, he's called the India Indie Whiz. He's still in Indianapolis, and he's still going to pagan events and vending and, and talking about this, and he also created a oak leaf cluster on a ribbon that can be worn on veterans and retirees' military uniforms, and he passes these out to veterans at um, circle and other other gatherings. Some of the other people I am not sure about. Celia is still making music. She's still touring the country. And Dave and I are still hanging out and we're we joined Witches of West Michigan, which is a fairly large organization here in Southwest Michigan. And we also do care Odonia A Flu, which is Kemric or Welsh paganism, based in uh, in Wales, is based on ancestors' teachings. We're not Welsh citizens, we're of Welsh descent. So we do that here in southwest Michigan. Did
1: you participate in the celebrations?
2: We did, we did. At, uh, at Circle Network's annual gathering, the Pagan Spirit Gathering, in June around the, the summer solstice. We got to meet Roberta Stewart. We got to meet some of the veterans who had been involved with it. My son was a scout at that time and he said the Pledge of Allegiance and um, a color guard of veterans carried the flag and my then daughter, now offspring, played the Star Spangled Banner on her flute. So it was very much a family affair and we got to meet a lot of these veterans and a lot of their families at this gathering and they had a big ceremony to celebrate and they they had this wonderful Statue of Liberty that had been made from paper mache and selena pressed a switch and this fire went down this string and lit her torch and it was so cool wow so everybody was celebrating and having a real good time and very happy and there was music and all kinds of neat speeches and and talk about what had happened what had transpired and i also want to mention that selena and the circle crew, also when they they talk to the congressional representatives, ask that other symbols be allowed for military um, honors. So the symbols for Asatru and Druidry, I know, got accepted. And I'm sure there's other ones, but I can't recall them all at this time. So now other members of the military are able to have their religious symbols and this is not just you know if you die in combat this is if a soldier you know is a veteran and then lives out their life and passes away of old age you're able to have this in whatever cemetery but it's really cool that there are several military personnel who are in Arlington National Cemetery who now have their symbols on their tombstones for for everybody that visits Arlington National Cemetery to see, we were able to go there in 2011 and we saw some of them, and that was just really gratifying. We were really blessed to be able to see that. Like you said, we've made strides. We have. It's not over. We're still having to. We're still having to do some some work for acceptance, and you know we have to be vigilant.
1: Where do you see we still need work in acceptance?
2: I would say in the area of gender, um, there are unfortunately a lot of laws that people are trying to pass that discriminate on people for gender, gender expression and marriage and um, LGBTQT community, things that affect, if they affect those guys, then they affect everybody because it's a civil rights matter. And so we have to be vigilant in writing to our congressional representatives, in voting, and making our opinions known. In pagan circles, we have to make sure that it's not seen as a fad, I think. I've
1: talked to people who have come out to their family, and quite often their family members think it's a fad. Oh, it's just a fad. You know, it's not changing your hair color. (laughs)
2: i think part of that's because it's become real popular in the media it's become very popular in social media and there are a few people jumping on the bandwagon but there are a lot of people also who are very serious about their their practice so you know it's, it's kind of become cool and so there are going to be people who experiment with paganism and different expressions of gender and so forth but they are allowed to do that. They're they're allowed to explore and find out what works best for them. And so I think we just have to continue to make sure it's taken seriously. That it's really a marriage. It's really a a a worship practice. It's really a spiritual belief. And that it's sincere. You know, we just have to keep enforcing that. And sometimes that gets tiring.
1: And quite often someone's religion is selected by their parents when they're an infant. So there is a point in one's life where they start exploring and say, you know, this is not what I believe. And that's how I felt growing up. I I was baptized in the Lutheran church and the Catholic church because my father was Lutheran and my mother was Catholic. And they both argued about which religion was the better religion. As I was growing into my adolescence, I started asking questions and exploring, and that's when I decided, I'm going to go down a different path, and we should all be able to choose our path.
2: I think the best way to um, show other people is to be an ambassador. To do public ceremonies, to invite people to our gatherings, and things like birthday parties and, and religious expressions, religious gatherings, um, to invite people to, say, a wickening ceremony of a new baby and to demystify it because it, it's not scary if you, if you come and actually see it. We've done things like a maypole on the town square. We've done a uh, British Isles folkloric tradition folk play as part of the Christmas parade in our tiny little town 2000 people we have a parade of lights every yuletide christmas time and we did a stag hunt so my husband at the time he, he can't walk anymore but he's was able to then and he jumped off the float and ran around wearing the stag antlers and wearing the the outfit and with little kids chasing him and then little kids from the audience started to participate and later on in the feed and grain, I had several people approach me, indigenous people as well as other um, European-based people, and said, "We did that when we were little kids." So that was that was very cool. And then we also, as pagans, need to do some interfaith work and in interacting with other religious. Like say, if there's a fundraiser for somebody who has cancer, or say if they, you know, somebody lost everything in a fire. And we join them in fundraising efforts. That's a very positive thing for other folks to see. My husband and I belong to Lions Club International, and we do a lot of fundraising for a lot of different causes. And we are not the only pagans in that group either. There's, there's a, a man wearing a muller, and then there's a lot of Catholics and Christians and, and various denominations. And we're all working together to make the world a better place. So that's, that's really cool.
1: There's so much we can do to include people so that they learn and know that we're not whatever these preconceived ideas that they have. We're like everyday people. Absolutely. Thank you, AC. This has been a wonderful interview and you have given the listeners quite a bit of information as far as what resources are out there. Thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for joining us for Witch Casting with Theodora Pendragon. Have a burning question or have a topic you'd love Theodora and her guests to discuss on the show? Contact her through Instagram at TheodoraPendragon. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. And help us spread the word by leaving us a rating and review and sharing it with your friends. See you next time and may your magic always shine.